0: chapter eleven part two of the mysteries of paris volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain the mysteries of paris by eugene Sue, chapter eleven part two the light tone with which rodolphe continued to discuss an affair which might have been attended with circumstances so fearful at first excited madame d'harville's wonder but she quickly perceived that the prince beneath his outward appearance of trifling sought to conceal or at least lessen the importance of the service he had rendered her and profoundly touched with his delicacy she said i comprehend your generous meaning my lord and you are fully at liberty to jest and forget as much as you like the peril from which you have preserved me but that which i have to relate to you is of so grave so serious and mournful a nature is so closely connected with the events of this morning and your advice may so greatly benefit me that i beseech you to remember that to you i owe both my honour and my life yes my lord my life my husband was armed and he has owned in the excess of his repentance that it was his intention to have killed me had his suspicions proved correct great god exclaimed rodolph with emotion and he would have been justified in so doing rejoined madame d'harville bitterly i beseech you madame said rodolph and this time he spoke with deep seriousness i beseech you to be assured i am incapable of being careless or indifferent to any matter in which you are concerned if i seemed but now to jest it was but to make you think less of a circumstance which has already occasioned you so much pain but now madame you may command my most solemn attention since you honour me by saying my advice may be useful i listen most anxiously and eagerly you can indeed counsel me most beneficially my lord but before i explain to you my reasons for seeking your aid i must say a few words concerning a period of which you are ignorant i mean the years which preceded my marriage with m rodolph bowed and Clemence continued at sixteen years of age i lost my mother and here a tear stole down the fair cheek of madame d'harville i cannot attempt to describe how much i adored that beloved parent imagine my lord the very personification of all earthly goodness. Her fondness for me was excessive, and appeared her only consolation amid the many bitter sorrows she had to endure. Caring but little for what is styled the world, with delicate health and a natural predilection for sedentary occupation, her great delight had been in attending solely to my education, and her ample store of solid and varied knowledge well fitted her for the task. Conceive, my lord, her astonishment and mine when, in my sixteenth year my dear preceptress considered my education nearly completed my father making the feeble health of my mother a pretext announced to us that a young and accomplished widow whose misfortunes rendered her justly interesting would henceforth be charged with finishing what my dear parent had begun my mother at first resolutely refused obedience to my father's command while i in vain besought him not to interpose a stranger's authority between myself and my beloved mother he was inexorable alike to our tears and prayers and madame roland who stated herself to be the widow of a colonel who had died in india came to take up her abode with us in the character of governess to myself what the same madame roland your father married almost immediately after the death of your mother the same my lord was she then very beautiful tolerably so nothing more clever witty perhaps she was a clever dissembler a skilful manoeuvrer her talent went no higher she might be about five and twenty years of age with extremely light hair and nearly white eyelashes her eyes were large round and a clear blue the expression of her countenance was humble and gentle and while her outward manner was attentive even to servility her real disposition was as perfidious as it was unfeeling and what were her acquirements? positively none at all my lord and i cannot conceive how my father who until then had been so completely a slave to the dictates of worldly propriety did not reflect that the utter incapacity of this woman must shamefully proclaim the real cause of her being in the house my mother earnestly pointed out to him the extreme ignorance of madame roland he however merely replied in a tone which admitted of no further argument that competent or otherwise the young and interesting widow should retain the situation in his establishment in which he had placed her this i heard subsequently from that instant my poor mother comprehended the whole affair over which she deeply grieved regretting less i fancy her husband's infidelity than the domestic unhappiness which would result from so indecorous a liaison the account of which she feared might reach my ears but even so far as his foolish passion was concerned it seems to me that your father acted very unwisely in introducing this woman into his house and you would still be more at a loss to understand his conduct if you had but known the extreme formality and circumspection of his character nothing could have ever induced him thus to trample under foot all the established rules of society but the unbounded influence of madame Roland and influence she exercised with so much the more certainty as she veiled her designs under the mask of the most passionate love for him but what was your father's age then about sixty and he really credited the professions of love made by so much younger a woman my father had been in his time one of the most fashionable and admired men of the day and madame roland either following the suggestions of her own artful mind or urged on by the counsels of others who could countenance much more counsel such a person i will tell you my lord imagining that a man whose reputation for gallantry had always stood high in the world would as he advanced in years be more easily delighted than another by being flattered upon his personal advantages and more credulously receive such compliments as served to recall those days most soothing to his vanity to remember well my lord incredible as it may appear this woman began to flatter my poor misguided father upon the graceful tourneur of his features and the inimitable elegance of his shape and he in his sixtieth year strange as you may consider it spite of the excellent sense with which my father was endowed he fell blindly into the snare coarse and vulgar as it was such was such still is i doubt not the secret of the unbounded influence this woman obtained over him and really my lord in spite of my present disinclination for mirth i can scarcely restrain a smile at the recollection of having frequently before my marriage heard madame roland assert and maintain that what she styled real maturity was the finest portion of a person's existence and that this maturity never began until about the fifty-fifth or sixtieth year of one's age i suppose that happened to be your father's age precisely so my lord then and then only according to madame roland had the understanding combined with experience attained their full development then only could a man occupying a distinguished position in the world enjoy the consideration to which he was entitled at that period only were the tout ensemble of his countenance and the exquisite grace of his manners in their highest perfection the physiognomy offering at this delightful epoch of a man's life a heavenly mixture of winning serenity and gentle gravity then the slight tinge of melancholy caused by the many recollections of the past deceit experience is fain to look back upon completes the irresistible charm of real maturity unappreciable madame roland hastily added except by women with head and heart sufficiently good to despise the youthful frivolity of a poor inexperienced forty years when the character and countenance can scarcely be called formed and when good taste turns away from the boyish folly of such an immature season of life and seeks the fine majestic features impressed with the sublime and poetic expression resulting from a sixty-year study of the vast book of human existence rodolph could not restrain smiling at the powerful irony with which madame d'harville sketched the portrait of her mother-in-law there is one thing said he to the marquise for which i cannot forgive ridiculous people what is that my lord the being also wicked which prevents our being able to laugh at them as much as they deserve they probably calculate upon that available advantage replied clmence indeed it is very probable though equally lamentable for if it were not for the recollection of all the pain madame roland has occasioned you i could be highly diverted with her system of real maturity as opposed to the insipidity of mere boys of only forty years of age who according to her assertion would be scarcely out of their leading strings as our grandfathers and grandmothers would say what principally excited my aversion for her was the shamefulness of her conduct towards my dear mother and the unfortunately overzealous part she took in my marriage said the marquise after a moment's pause rodolph looked at her with much surprise nay my lord said clmence in a firm though gentle tone nay my lord said clmence in a firm though gentle tone i well remember that m d'harville is your friend and my husband i know perfectly the grave importance of the words i have just uttered hereafter you yourself shall admit the justice of them but to return to madame roland who was now spite of her acknowledged incapacity established as my instructress my mother had a long and most painful altercation with my father on the subject which drew down on us his extreme displeasure and from that period my mother and myself remained secluded in our apartments while madame roland in quality of my governess directed the whole household and almost publicly did the honours of the mansion what must your mother have suffered she did indeed my lord but her sorrow was less for herself than me whose future destiny might be so deeply affected by the introduction of this woman her health always delicate became daily weaker and she fell seriously ill it chanced most unfortunately that our family doctor m sorbier in whom she had the highest confidence died about this period to my mother's extreme regret madame roland immediately urged my father to place my mother's case in the hands of an italian doctor a particular friend of her own and whom she described as possessing a more than ordinary skill in the treatment of diseases thanks to her importunities my father who had himself consulted him in trifling maladies and found no cause to be dissatisfied proposed him to my mother who alas raised no objection and this man it was who attended upon her during her last illness tears filled the eyes of madame d'harville as she uttered these words i am ashamed to confess my weakness my lord added she but for the simple reason of this doctor having been appointed at the suggestion of madame roland he inspired me and at that time without any cause with the most involuntary repugnance and in it was with the most painful misgivings i saw him established in my mother's confidence still as regarded his knowledge of his profession dr polidori what do i hear exclaimed rodolphe are you indisposed my lord inquired clmence struck with the sudden expression the prince's countenance had assumed no no said rodolphe as though unconscious of the presence of madame d'harville no i must be mistaken Five or six years must have elapsed since all this occurred. While I am informed that it is not more than two years since Polidori came to Paris, and then under a feigned name, he it was I saw yesterday. I am sure of it. The quack dentist Bradamanti and Polidori are one and the same. Still, 'tis singular. Two doctors of the same name. Note three. What a strange rencontre. Note three we must remind the reader that polidori was a doctor of some eminence when he undertook the education of rodolphe madame said rodolphe turning to madame d'harville whose astonishment at his preoccupation still increased we will if you please compare notes as to this italian what age was he about fifty and his appearance his countenance most sinister never shall i forget his clear piercing green eye and his nose curved like the bill of an eagle tis he tis he himself exclaimed rodolph and do you think madame that the doctor Polidora you were describing is still in paris that i cannot tell you my lord he quitted paris about a year after my father's marriage a lady of my acquaintance who at this period also employed the italian as her medical adviser this lady madame de lucenay the duchess de lucenay interrupted rodolph yes my lord but why this surprise permit me to be silent on that subject but at the time of which you speak what did madame de lucenay tell you of this man she said that he travelled much after quitting paris and that she often received from him very clever and amusing letters descriptive of the various places he visited now i recollect that about a month ago happening to ask madame de lucenay whether she had heard lately from m she replied with an embarrassed manner that nothing had been heard of or concerning him for some time that no one knew what had become of him and that by many he was supposed to be dead strange indeed said rodolph recalling the recent visit of madame de lucenay to the charlatan bradamanti you know this man then my lord unfortunately for myself i do but let me beseech you to continue your recital hereafter i will give you an insight into the history of this polidori do you mean the doctor say rather the wretch stained with the most atrocious crimes crimes cried madame d'harville in alarm can it be possible the man whom madame roland so highly extolled and into whose hands my poor mother was delivered was guilty of crimes alas my dear parent lingered but a very short time after she passed into his care ah my lord my presentiments have not deceived me your presentiments oh yes i was telling you just now of the invincible antipathy i felt for this man from the circumstance of his having been introduced among us by madame Roland. but i did not tell you all my lord how so i was fearful lest the bitterness of my own griefs should make me guilty of injustice towards an innocent person but now my lord you shall know everything My mother had lain dangerously ill about five days i had always watched beside her night as well as day one evening that i felt much oppressed with confinement and fatigue i went to breathe the fresh air on the terrace of the garden after remaining about a quarter of an hour i was returning by a long and obscure gallery by a faint light which streamed from the apartment of madame roland i saw monsieur polodori quit the room accompanied by the mistress of the chamber being in the shadow they did not perceive me madame roland spoke some words to the doctor but in so low a tone i could not catch them the doctor's answer was given in a louder key and consisted only of these words the day after to-morrow and when madame roland seemed to urge him still in so low a voice as to prevent the words reaching me he replied with singular emphasis the day after to-morrow i tell you the day after to-morrow what could those words mean what did they mean alas alas my lord it was on the wednesday evening i heard m polidori say the day after to-morrow on the friday my mother was a corpse horrible indeed after this mournful event i was consigned to the care of a relation who forgetful of the afflicted state of my mind as well as tender age told me without reserve or consideration of the consequences what powerful reasons there were for my hating madame Roland and fully enlightened me as to the ambitious projects entertained by this woman full well i could then imagine all my poor mother must have endured i thought my heart would break the first time i again saw my father which was upon the occasion of his coming to fetch me from the house of my relation to take me into normandy where we were to pass the first months of our mourning during the journey he informed me without the least embarrassment and as though it had been the most natural thing in the world that out of regard for himself and me madame had kindly consented to take the command of the establishment and to act as my guide and friend on arriving at aubier so was my father's estate called the first object we beheld was madame Roland, who had established herself here on the very day of my mother's death spite of her modest gentle manner her countenance betrayed an ill-disguised triumph never shall i forget the look at once ironical and spiteful she cast on me as i descended from the carriage it seemed to say i am mistress here tis you who are the intruder a fresh grief awaited me whether from an inexcusable want of proper judgment or unpardonable assurance this woman occupied the apartment which had been my mother's in my just indignation i loudly complained to my father of this unpleasant forgetfulness of my rights as well as wishes he reprimanded me severely for making any remonstrance on the subject adding that it was needless for me either to feel or express surprise on the subject as it was his desire i should habituate myself to consider madame roland in every respect as a second mother and show her a corresponding deference i replied that it would be a profanation to that sacred name to act as he commanded and to his extreme wrath i never allowed any opportunity to escape by which i could evince my deeply rooted aversion to madame roland at times my father's rage knew no bounds and bitterly would he reproach me in the presence of that woman for the coldness and ingratitude of my conduct towards an angel as he styled her sent by heaven for our consolation and happiness let me entreat of you to speak for yourself alone said i one day quite wearied with the hypocritical conduct of madame roland and my father's blind infatuation the harshness and unreasonableness of his conduct became at last quite unendurable while madame roland with the honeyed words of feigned affection would artfully intercede for me because she well knew by so doing she should only increase the storm she had raised you must make some allowances for clemence she would say the sorrow she experiences for the excellent parent we all deplore is so natural and even praiseworthy that you should respect her just grief and pity her for her unfounded suspicions. You hear her, you hear her, would my father exclaim, pointing with mingled triumph and admiration to the accomplished hypocrite. What angelic goodness, what enchanting nobleness and in generosity. Instantly entreat her pardon for the unworthiness of your conduct. Never, I used to reply the spirit of my angel mother who now beholds me would be pained to witness such a degradation in her child and bursting with grief and mortification i would fly to my own chamber leaving my father to dry the tears and calm the ruffled feelings of the woman i despised and hated you will i hope excuse me my lord for dwelling so long and so minutely on all my earthly troubles but it is only by doing so i can accurately describe to you the sort of life i led at that period i can enter fully into the painful subject yet how often have the same scenes been enacted in other families and still it is much to be feared will they be repeated till the end of time but in what capacity did your father introduce madame roland to the neighbourhood as my instructress and his friend and she was estimated accordingly I need scarcely inquire whether he shared in the solitude to which her questionable character condemned the lady, with the exception of some few and unavoidable visits, she saw no one. My father, guided by his passion or influenced by Madame Roland, threw off his mourning from my mother ere he had worn it three months, under the plea that the sable garb continually reminded him of his loss and prevented him from regaining his lost tranquillity. His manners to me daily became colder and more estranged while his perfect indifference concerning me allowed a degree of liberty almost incredible in a person of my age i met him only at breakfast after which he returned to his study with madame roland who acted as his secretary read and answered all his letters etc that completed they either walked or drove out together returning only an hour before dinner against which madame roland would array herself in an elegant and well-chosen evening dress while my father would make a most studiously elaborate toilet as uncalled for as ill-adapted to his time of life occasionally after dinner he received a few persons he could not avoid asking to his house when he would play at trick-track with madame roland until ten o'clock at which hour he would offer his arm to conduct her to my mother's apartment and return to his guests as for myself i had unrestrained permission to go where i pleased throughout the whole day attended by a servant i used to take long rides in the extensive woods surrounding the chateau and when, as occasionally happened, I felt my spirits unequal to appearing at the dinner-table, not the slightest inquiry was ever made after me, or my absence noticed. What singular neglect and forgetfulness! Having accidentally encountered one of our neighbours during several successive days of my excursions in the woods, I gave up riding there, and confined myself entirely to the park. And how did this infamous woman conduct herself towards you when alone? she shunned all occasions of being with me as sedulously as i avoided her but once that we were unexpectedly tete-a-tete with each other and that she was reproaching me for some severe words i had spoken the preceding evening she said coldly have a care you cannot contend against my power any such attempt will bring down a certain ruin on your head as it did upon that of my mother answered i it is a pity madame you have not m polidori by your side to announce to you that your vengeance can be satisfied the day after to-morrow.' And what reply did she make when you thus recalled those fearful words? She changed colour rapidly, her features were almost convulsed, then by a strong effort conquering her emotion, she angrily demanded what I meant by the expression. "'Ask your own heart, madame,' answered I. "'In the solitude of your chamber inquire of yourself to what I allude.' your conscience will find a ready explanation shortly after that a scene occurred which forever sealed my destiny among a great number of family portraits which graced the walls of the salon in which we usually spent the evening was that of my mother one day i observed it had been removed from its accustomed place two neighbours had dined with us one of them Monsieur d'orval a country lawyer had always expressed the utmost veneration and respect for my mother when we reached the salon after dinner i inquired of my father what had become of my dear mother's picture cease cried my father significantly pointing to our guests as though intimating his desire that they should not hear any discussion on the subject the reason of the picture being taken away is that the sight of it continually reminded me of the heavy loss i have sustained and so prevented my regaining my usual calmness and peace of mind and where is the portrait at present inquired i Turning towards Madame Roland, with an impatient and uneasy air, he said, "'Where has the picture been put?' "'In the lumber-room,' replied she, casting on me a glance of defiance, evidently under the impression that the presence of witnesses would prevent me from proceeding further in the matter. "'I can easily believe, madame,' cried I indignantly, "'that the recollection of my mother must have been painful to you. But that was not a sufficient reason for banishing from the walls a likeness of her who—' when you were in want and misery, kindly and charitably afforded you the shelter of her roof. "'Excellent!' explained Rodolphe. "'Yours was, indeed, a stinging and a just reproach.' "'Mademoiselle!' cried my father. "'You forget that this lady has watched and still continues to preside, with maternal solicitude over your education. "'You also seem to vanish from your recollection the very high esteem and respect you are aware I entertain for her.' and since you allow yourself thus to attack her before strangers you will permit me to tell you that in my opinion the charge of ingratitude lies at the door of her who overlooking the tender cares she has received presumes to reproach a person deserving of the utmost interest and respect with misfortunes and calamities so nobly sustained i cannot venture to discuss the subject with you my dear father said i submissively perhaps then mademoiselle you will favour me with your polite arguments in favour of rudeness and unmerited abuse cried madame roland carried away by rage into a neglect of her usual caution and prudence perhaps you will permit me to assert that so far from owing the slightest obligation to your mother i have nothing to remember but the constant coldness and dislike she invariably manifested towards me fully expressive of the disgust and displeasure with which my residence in the house inspired her forbear madame explained i interrupting her out of respect for my father if not to spare your own blushes cease such shameful confessions as the one you have just made or you will make even me regret having exposed you to so humiliating a disclosure better and better cried rodolph this was indeed cutting with a two-edged sword pray go on And what said this woman by a very hackneyed though convenient expedient madame roland contrived to end a scene in which she felt she was likely to have the worst with a sudden cry she threw herself into a chair and very naturally imitated a fainting fit thanks to this incident the two visitors quitted the room in search of restoratives while i retired to my own apartment leaving my father hanging in deep anxiety over the wicked cause of all this confusion doubtless your next interview with your father must have been a stormy one End of chapter 11. Part 2. Read by Céline Major.